Welcome to the Managed Tools Podcast for Monday, February 6, 2006. We talked recently about manager communications, looking at the various ways you as a manager can deliver your message and the organization's messages to your team. There's more to talk about there, but we're going to tackle a different type of communication this time. Now, Mark's core skill is coaching managers and executives on their effectiveness. These efforts take many different forms, because different managers have different strengths and weaknesses. Some managers barely speak to their teams, are not personable, and are perceived, rightly so, as not caring about their direct reports. They wonder why they can't seem to get anything done. Others of us show genuine care and concern for a team and communicate often, but our desks are a disaster. We don't know how our team is performing against the standards of the organization, and we're constantly late meeting deadlines. So, different managers need different help in achieving what ought to be our core mission, effectiveness, which is achieving the right results for our organization. And yet, Mark notices that regardless of their other skill sets, regardless of other strengths and weaknesses, almost all managers and executives he coaches need help with what he calls micro-communications, which is a critical but overlooked subset of interpersonal communications in general. So in this cast, we address some things you can do immediately to become more effective in your micro-communications. So Mark, uh, what the heck is micro-communication? Is that kind of like a micromanager who talks too much or <laughs> no and in fact mike I, I i'm not even i'm not even in love with the phrase micro communications the reason i call it that is because it happens almost invisibly that it's th- th- these habits that we all have about how we communicate particularly in organizations obviously in our managerial roles um are, are invisible to us for the most part and if i just say how to communicate better most people think he's going to make me a better public speaker and, and, and that's not what we're, what I'm talking about at all. So, so let me, for now, let me start with an example, okay? Okay. Um, I was working with a client several months ago. Uh, I was coaching a group of their executives, not an unusual um, effort for me. And as it turned out, several of them were in an internal technology group, um, a little bit like your background where, you know, you were serving internal clients in the organization, and in this particular meeting that I was in, um, and, and I was there to coach to, to uh, find out how they were doing working together, this internal technology group and their supported internal client, um, because they were getting ready to embark on a pretty significant initiative. And um, my um, major client at the organization said, please try to help them as much as possible because they've struggled a little bit in the past. Um, Okay, and they're, they're basically trying to plan operations for the coming year. This is several months ago. Um, and there are about 10 people in this meeting. Um, at one point, now, now this may seem, I, I hope people get shocked by this, but quite frankly, I'm afraid they're not going to. One of the key managers was speaking from the line organization. Um, the, the client organization. Yeah, exactly. Right. The client, yeah. I, I call them line because these peop- this particular person was responsible for revenue. And the internal technology group is not responsible for revenue. 
Um, but regardless, um, this particular line manager, this client manager, <clears throat> had come in late to the meeting. And so just because it was a kind of a small conference room we were in, um, there were like six seats or eight seats around the table, um, she was not sitting at the main conference table. She was sitting, you know, behind people at the table. Um, but clearly, you know, an important part of the meeting. <clears throat> um, she started speaking. And she actually had, she made a couple of excellent points. Um, and the three managers who were sitting at the table in front of her, in other words, almost directly between her and the table, did not even turn around to face her when she was speaking. And, and, you know, it's a, well, it's normal, right? It's, it's, uh, we're all at the conference table. They basically let her speak to their backs and they were sitting within five feet of her. Okay. Uh, and of course, as, as often as the case, they had their arms crossed. Um, but okay, it gets worse. They don't even turn around to listen to her. Now these, I admit these three were all in the internal technology group. They were in the, the service organization, if you will. One of them answered her question, Mike. And he didn't even turn around to face her. The, the pull of the conference table gorilla in the center of the room somehow is so powerful. And, and, and maybe you can justify that from the standpoint, well, that's just the way it's done. But I can justify that that's why you don't have a good, they don't have a good relationship. You know, and, and I'm sure there are people out there who are listening who are saying, well, you know, you know that's them. It's not me. But I'll tell you what, Mike, I have been coaching executives and managers for almost 20 years, and this sort of stuff happens all the time. Now, now, uh, I mean, tell me something. I mean, we, we've talked before. Our first cast was about the whole idea of solutions for a stalled technology career, and we talked about behaviors in a meeting. You've seen this, haven't you? Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's amazing people don't recognize they're doing it, but... I you know, but my reaction when you told me this um, story the other day as we were talking about this show was, well, I don't know if that's as much micro-communications as it is just being plain stupid. <laughs> uh, well, uh, this is not a show about making people not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're, you know, the, the idea of if your client, internal or not, is asking a question and you don't turn around to look at her when she's, when she's speaking, or look at her when you answer, it just seems but, but, stupid. But is, as stupid as I think it is, it, it does happen. It's prevalent all the time. Yeah, I would even say something else. You know what? When you say it, it's kind of stupid, because because if your client is speaking, I have to tell you, Mike. I think for those of those technology managers that we have in our audience, um, I'm telling you, they don't see that person as a client. The first definition of that person, that line manager, that account manager, that marketing person, that operations person that's being served by the technology manager or by the legal manager or the HR manager, they see them, the first definition they have is, well, we're all part of the same company and we're just batting ideas around here, which gets to a whole nother podcast we'll talk about at some point about how you have to emotionally demote yourself to really serve somebody internally. Um, you know, it's not just a battle of ideas. If Mike Ozan is supporting, if Mike Ozan, the technology genius, is supporting Mike Mark Horseman, the marketing guy, Horseman thinks that Ozan works for him. Horseman thinks that he has the budget, he's going to give some of it to Ozan, and Horseman thinks Ozan better be responsive. And it, sometimes internal organizations go, gosh, I wonder why they keep cutting our budget and going outside. Well, in part because the people outside respond to requests from the the client the internal you know the the line organization the marketing organization as if they really really want the business because there's cash changing hands so i think that's you know that may be part of it 
But to me, the, the, the really scary part is just that the opportunity exists to create a relationship. And if you, you know, I know our listeners know how strongly I feel about relationships, but these are micro behaviors, little things we all do that destroy relationships. Um, and when I think about management um, and I compare it to large organizations, I say this. There's been a big push in the last 10 years in major corporations to talk about value creation, economic value added. It's all about, did I create value or did I destroy value? Did we deliver, you know, was the return on our investment of time and dollars greater than the actual time and dollars we spent? Um, you know, that's value creation. I would argue that internally as a manager, um, a big part of your equation in terms of your effectiveness is relationship creation or relationship destruction. Is it creative? Or is it destructive? Um, And I would say that many of our habits, particularly in meetings, and particularly when there are two different organizations at the table, uh, or there's a potential for conflict, which when there are two different organizations at the table, by definition there is, um, I I think that you have a real opportunity. Your natural tendency is to engage in habitual behaviors, which may very well be destructive to a relationship, and we just take it for granted as, well, that's just the way things are done here. Again, so that's the micro part of it. It's the stuff we don't even we don't even see. We don't even think about it. Um, and, and something else too. If you've ever been in a conversation, Mike, I'm sure you and I have talked about this a hundred times. If um, this not only works in terms of your creating relationships, it also makes a big difference in terms of other people's. Um, uh, you, your perception of other people. If you've ever said in a conversation, I can't really put my finger on it, you said this to yourself, but there's something about him or her I don't like, then you've probably picked up on some of their micro-communications. And it's not hard to become aware of your own and to make small changes that make a big difference in terms of destructive or creative in terms of relationship. And you and I have talked about it in one of our favorite books last year before The World is Flat came out was Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, which talks about this very thing. Absolutely. Yeah, let's agree that this is going to be a recurring theme of manager tools. In my head, Mike, I easily have 20 podcasts on microcommunications. And, and, uh, I mean, I, my notes on this just went on and on and on and on. So I thought I'd, I'd kind of drill down a little bit and we'll take one, one that probably will bore some people. Um, but, but it's a powerful one and it's one that you use probably more than any others and that's listening. So let's take one in this show, and we'll do we'll talk about listening. And and do you we want to go ahead and commit that the next show we're going to talk about responding? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, and then and then over the, over the course of the year we'll we'll um, we'll weave them in and out of other casts as we uh, have time and so on. Well, if somebody if somebody's getting ready to tune out because we're going to talk about listening skills, I think it would be a, a big mistake. Mark and I talk about this all the time, and I've had the the privilege of being a client of Mark's um, sometime back. Um, as we we're kind of going through the show notes here, I was terribly excited because there's just some some things in, we're going to talk about today that I really hadn't I really hadn't thought about or hadn't thought about them in the same way. So don't tune out. Well, good. good stuff. Good. And you know something else too, Mike. I, I, I think one of the one of the dangers of listening, um, one, one of the hidden dangers around listening is it tends to be in uh, skill in this area tends to be inversely related to intellect. Um, you know, let's be honest, Mike, you and I think of ourselves as reasonably intelligent. And when somebody's bringing up an idea that we can already see is not being, um, relevant, um, uh, or, or not as, as, as right as ours, 
boy, we can engage in some pretty aggressive, <laughs> uh, nonverbal, non-listening behaviors um, that we don't really intend to shut them down, but we intend to suggest that our idea is better. Um, and I, I think there are plenty of people who think of themselves as successful and, and smart and effective who don't do this very well. So it may be inversely related to the, the normal set of skills that people tend to associate with management. Well, that, that makes me feel pretty good because people don't realize this, but in our normal 45-minute 45 45-minute 45 banter before actually recording the podcast, Mark and I were talking about some things, and I, I probably... <laughs> I need to work on my listening skills, put it that way. <laughs> well, after having the, reviewed the show notes. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. The point is, is that that just makes you normal because we all do. I mean, I, I catch myself when I'm talking to you. So, okay, good. So, so we're going to talk about listening. Um, and, and I'll start off with a an important distinction that it, it's not one of our actionable behaviors, but it's a way to think about listening that'll be real helpful. And of course, it comes from so you and I were talking about before. It comes from Mike Swinson, our our good friend, who is um, an excellent Seven Habits of Highly Effective People facilitator, and he reminds me all the time of something when when he and I are in, a, in an interesting exchange. Um, that the, the the difference between listening to respond, which is what most of us do most of the time, and listening for understanding. And because our, our next show is going to be about responding, we don't want people thinking, okay, okay, well, you know, tell me what I'm supposed to say. That's the danger in, in putting listening and responding together. So I think it's powerful that we're separating the two. You cannot respond effectively until you listen effectively. And if you're trying to respond too soon, you're not listening well. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's another category there that he didn't cover sometimes I find myself in, which is, you know, the first one, listening to respond, listening for understanding and not listening because you think the other person's stupid. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, people are going to think we're, we're arrogant. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, that's, that's, that's my problem, not not anybody well, else's. <laughs> I, I I would I would suggest that that's fairly true in many many organizations, and and it becomes more true in terms of a percentage of the of the people around a table as as supervisors become managers and managers become executives, right? Um, bunch of bunch of executives in a room, boy, you've got some got some conflict, and that conflict shows up non verbally big time, particularly when people are listening. I mean, the classic one is people feeling like they can stay on the email all the time during a big meeting. Like, no, you really can't. Well, you can. It's just you don't expect to have good relationships coming out of that meeting. So if you ever thought to yourself, if this guy would just be quiet, I'll tell him what he wants to know. Then if you ever thought that way, then you're guilty, as Mike and I are, of listening to respond rather than listening to understand. Um, okay, so we want to go over the stuff you can do now to get better. That's what Manager Tools is famous for. That's why Mike and I are on the, doing this right now. Um um, and, and there are five things we're going to suggest that you do. They're very specific, um, and, and uh, they may, in fact, as often as the case, uh, some of you may feel like we're stating the obvious, but um, I've been doing this for years, and it's obvious that many people don't do this stuff. And the five things are face the speaker. Gee, that should be obvious after my example. Look them in the eyes. By the way, I didn't say eye contact. didn't say make eye contact. Smile, nod your head, and take notes. Now, you might say to yourself, oh, I know that. Yeah, folks, we know you know that. It's just that the vast majority of people that I'm asked to coach, good and bad, 
don't do it. There's a great book that just came out recently called The Knowing Doing Gap. It's not enough to know this stuff. You actually have to practice it. Okay? And before we get into the details of each one of those, I want to put them in context. It's not really in the list, even though it's perhaps more important than any of the five things you're going to do, because it's not something you really can do. But I want to describe the purpose of all these micro-behaviors. The purpose of these is to create listening skills that allow you to repeat what the speaker said. And that, your ability to repeat what the speaker says, will improve your relationship with the speaker. The fact is, if the speaker's talking, that time is theirs. You can, you can believe that you're going to be thinking about some other problem. You better be thinking about a problem that's bigger than whatever it is you're talking about. And quite frankly, you may think that, but it's not always true that you can think of something more important than whatever anybody else is saying. I find it interesting that everybody does that, except when their boss is talking. Um, so you may think that you're going to think of something more important, but not only are you not hearing what the person's saying, but you're also destroying your relationship with them. Uh, Mike and I catch ourselves doing it with each other. We find ourselves being short with one another because, oh, I already got his point. Let's just move on kind of thing. But in fact, we recognize that that can affect you know how effective we are later in the conversation because we feel like the other person is not listening and we have to work harder um, to get a point across. Yeah. And, okay. And, and when we reviewed your show notes and you, and you listed those two purposes of listening, one, repeat the ability to repeat what the speaker said and improve your relationship with the speaker while doing so, um, that was extremely powerful for me because I often find myself, you know, I, I made the comment earlier about the person being stupid and I <laughs> was actually trying to be funny. Um, yeah. it, more accurately, um, you stop listening when you think you've, you already know what the person is going to say. So if you're simply listening to um, get information, you're not going to listen as hard. Now, if you're, if you're listening to be able to repeat it, you've got to listen a little bit more intently. The even more powerful point for me was... Like even if somebody's talking, they're talking nothing but gibberish and making yes. no sense whatsoever. It's hard to listen to them unless yeah. there's another objective. And if the there objective is to build the relationship, <sighs> yes. and I have that in my mind, yeah. it is all that much easier to spend the effort to listen because I'm getting something out of it. I'm not getting information, but I'm getting a better relationship. And that is extremely powerful for me. And, and you know what's fascinating about that, Mike, is you and I have never talked about that you know, directly. Um, that is what makes that is one of the four or five things that makes me a good coach um, is that I am interested in building a relationship with the person that I'm coaching. I'm constantly trying to invest in the relationship because at some point I'm going to have to pull some of that emotional bank account. I'm going to have to say something direct and, and what will be perceived as negative, even though it might be helpful, it'll point out a gap between where they are and where they want to be. Um, and I know I'm going to have to do that. People are going to ask me for feedback, and some of it's going to be adjusting feedback. And I have found that listening is this huge opportunity to invest in the relationship, to put another nickel into the bank account, so to speak. And I, 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 for a long time, I didn't, I, this will sound corny, but I didn't know why people liked me. Well, people liked me because I listened to them. And, and believe me, Mike, there are times when people are talking, and I am thinking, you are in you are the CEO of Fantasyland, <laughs> um, and and yet I, I nod my head, I smile, I make notes, and so on. 
and I, and and if I do that, it causes me to pause, and I'm much more able to avoid being in direct conflict with them. I may disagree with them, but if I've developed a little bit of a relationship with them, I've invested in the relationship, they're more comfortable when I disagree. So that is the point you just made is what I keep close to the front of my brain and in my heart when I'm listening to people, and it makes an enormous difference in my willingness and ability to stay through till the end of whatever they're talking about. Right. Well, and it just points to why people do all these behaviors when they're when they're talking to their boss or listening to their boss because yeah. they absolutely want to have a relationship with him Bingo. or her. Bingo. Right. There it is. You're right. You know what? If You might want to even add to this. Uh, like like step six, if you will, or step one A, which is if this person were my boss who's talking in this meeting or this group I'm in, if this person were my boss, how would I be behaving? You're yeah. right. I, that may be very. I mean, it's a simple. It's it's a uh, a device to help people check their behaviors and micro behaviors. Yeah, I mean, you know, good laughing yeah. at jokes that aren't funny is simply an extension of the smile and nodding your head. Yeah. Right? Well, you know, it's funny. I have a very good friend that I talk to on the phone every once in a while. Um, just because of our schedules, we don't often get to talk as much as we'd like. And I told him recently, he, he said, he says, you know, it's it doesn't, he, he happened to be at an airport. And, and uh, he said, uh, he said, I'm sorry, I'm really busy. I said, no worries, you're, you're in an airport. And he said, you know, when I talk to you, it's really quiet. I said, yeah, you know what? When we talk, I can't do anything else. I'm not able to check email. Um, this is a function of being in my business, I think, and, and, and focusing on listening. I don't do anything else. And I will tell you something. Um, people on the phone with me, I, I'm amazed at coaching clients of mine who are checking mail and checking their Blackberries and so on. And I stop yeah. them. Uh, yeah, and, and by the way, folks, that was one of the uh, poor listening habits I exhibited this morning <laughs> talking to Mark. So <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't bringing it. It was somebody else I was talking about, but okay. Um, fair enough. All right, so let's go through the five. The first one is face the speaker. And, and you know, maybe you think it's trivial, folks, but we ain't doing it. It ain't happening. Um, uh, if you want a, a reason for why it can be so powerful, simply pay attention when others are listening to you. Judge your sense of their level of attention to you at a gut level, who's listening and who's not, and then notice their body position relative to you. When Okay, if they're really listening, if you get a high sense that they're listening to you, I guarantee you they have turned to face you. Now, when someone speaks and you're listening, wherever they are, it's very simple. Turn your entire body to face them. If they're next to you at a table, swivel towards them. The goal is to get an invisible line that goes through your chest and shoulders to be perpendicular to the line connecting your body to theirs. I knew I went to geometry in ninth grade for a reason. You're such a geek. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you know what? That I think about I know it sounds corny, Mike, but that's what I think about. I, I put a line between my shoulders and my chest, and I go, okay, how do I turn? And I, I actually think of myself as a little bit of a mannequin. I, I because I'm I'm a I'm I'm a fairly lazy person physically. I like to slouch at the table. I don't need to sit up and be impressive in order to have my ideas heard. Um uh, a lot of times I'm whispering to somebody at a, at a conference table. Um, but uh, uh, for some reason, that person in the center of the table that doesn't exist, everybody turns and faces the center of the table, and I think it's silly and it's ineffective. Do it differently than everybody else. Turn your shoulders, turn your shoulders, turn your shoulders. 
That is step one in becoming a better listener. And not just becoming a better listener so you can repeat what they said, but to Mike's point, so that they will believe that you are listening and you'll be putting, you'll be getting chips in the game for the relationship you have with them. Yeah, that, that's, that turning your shoulders is very powerful for me because um, I think of it, when you say face the speaker, I see people yeah. all the time, they turn their head toward yeah. the speaker, um, but they don't turn their shoulders, clearly. Yeah. Facing, the, facing the speaker is tantamount to looking at the speaker, and that's not true. Yeah. It, interesting. Um, if you're at the table and there are people behind you, watch what happens to your left and right when the person behind you talks and you spin around. They will immediately turn to a greatly to a great more degree than they would have were you not to have done that. And they recognize, they intuitively understand at a level that they've buried beneath their thinking about whatever the problem they're thinking about. They have buried the the lack of respect, if you will, that comes from leaving your back turned to a person. And when you do it, and they become aware of the gap between what you're doing and what they're doing, they immediately start turning around. Okay. Number two, look them in the eyes. Um, now, I do not say make eye contact. I, I don't know how you make <laughs> eye contact. It's something I've never understood in terms of a phraseology. I think it's a, I think it's a euphemism. Um, um, your part of a relationship that occurs when somebody speaks is to look into their eyes. Um, if they look away to somebody else, you're not relieved of your responsibility. In fact, if you're looking in their eyes, you're going to gain information that you won't even have to think about. It'll happen naturally. You're going to gain information about who they're looking at when they say certain things. If you're not looking at them, you're not gathering data about who they are um, and, and what what behavior they're engaged in that may be subtle or not or political or not. Um or devious or not in a meeting. If you're not looking in, the, in their eyes, you can't guess where, where it is they're looking. Certainly every once in a while you can look away to see who they're looking at at a particular time. Um, but boy, I, I can't even count, Mike, the number of articles I've read and research I've read that says speakers feel better about the audience members who are looking at them when the speaker finally makes eye contact with the audience member. And by the way, this will make you a much better speaker by the other side of communication, obviously. If you're looking at speakers, you will be better naturally at making eye contact um, when, when you're speaking. Now, I, I will make a point here. Some people say, I'm uncomfortable making eye contact. And, and, and uh, I'm going to be a, a, I'm going to bring out the dark mark and say, well, gee, I'm, I'm really sorry. You can either choose to be effective or you can choose to stay in your comfort zone, whichever you like. Um, just don't complain to me that you don't have great relationships because you're not comfortable making eye contact with the speaker. If you're not comfortable making eye contact with the speaker, I dare say you're going to be uncomfortable making eye contact with one of your direct reports when you have to give negative feedback at the end of your review. Um, and I, I, there's, there's just no excuse for that. It, it, in fact, if, if I had a manager working for me who refused or simply could not and I couldn't figure out a way to coach him, I'd start looking for ways for them to go somewhere else and be successful working for somebody else. All right. Is there a time that you would not want to make eye contact with something where it's a particularly embarrassing moment or or other reasons like that? Uh, there are probably a bunch of them. I haven't really – let me put it this way. That is the, the last 10% of perfection. The first 90% is starting to make good eye contact. If we could just get everybody making eye contact all the time, 
uh, and I say all the time loosely because if you go much past about 80% when someone's speaking, you're probably staring. Um, whereas in interpersonal discussions, if it's one-on-one, it, eye contact in the 65 to 70% range is, is considered normal, and much more than that is staring. Um, so, yes, I could probably think of some things, Mike, but for now I think the focus ought to be on let's just get people looking at the speaker. Right. And most people are so poor at this that yeah. you really don't worry about somebody going out and being perceived as staring because they'll yeah, exactly. have to work just to get to the 60% level. Yeah. that you, you said what I intended to say, and you said it in 30 seconds, and I took two minutes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, you know, it's like somebody saying, I, I want to learn how to play football. Um, can I go to the NFL? <laughs> no. <laughs> One step at a time. Um, okay. Number three, smile. I'll never forget the manager who told me, you know, I don't, smiling's not part of my job description. And, <laughs> oh, you're kidding me. Yeah. And, 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 you know, he was not a, he's not a warm person. He was very effective in his own way and his, in his, um, in his role in the organization, but of course his role was growing and people were working for him now. And uh, my response is, no, you're right, but it does require, your job description does require you to be effective. And now that you work with people, uh, sorry, but you'll have to smile. He says, well, that may be a stumbling block for me. I said, oh yeah, believe me, it will be. I, when your boss asked me at the end of the week, after I spent time with you and several of your peers, when he asked what the issues are, I'm going to say, well, one of the things we need to work on is Joe's ability to smile because he's not willing to do it. Um, I have to say that um, smiling may be the single most powerful thing I do to help my professional success. I, you know, other, aside from the dark mark, I, it boils, you know, it boils down to the maybe it just boils down to the fact, Mike, that I was born a happy person. I always feel like my glass is half full or I'm actually full to overflowing. I assume that everybody, every single time, even if I have some data to the contrary, when they start to speak to me, mean well, and I'll, I'm going to benefit from it. So I smile. Um, I don't have to smile about the content. I'm smiling about the relationship. Going back to your early comment, what, what was so powerful for you? I'm focusing on the process of communication and the fact that we're in the same room and we're trying to work things out and the fact that it's not going well at the time. I can still smile because at least we're in the room. There's a worse situation, which is we've all bailed out and said, to heck with you guys. We don't care. No more, you know, I, we, we're willing to be in open conflict with you. Um, so when someone speaks to you, look up from what you're doing, whatever it is you're doing, stop what you're doing and smile at them. Uh, look, it doesn't have to be a rolling on the floor laughing smile. Um, it doesn't have to be a Hollywood smile. It can be a half smile. It can be a crooked grin, whatever you like. Don't do it while you're looking away. Um, but I'll tell you, if you're a boss and somebody comes into your office and you look, look up real quick and say, hey, and you don't smile and you go back to what you're doing, you just insulted them. They just They probably screwed up the courage to come in and see you in most cases, and you just basically told them, you're interrupting me, make it brief. And if they were going to tell you something specific about a project or their family or whatever, you just lost the ability to get some information. If you're going to allow them to interrupt you, you might as well make the interruption effective, and that means smiling. If you're going to be in a meeting and you're going to be listening and they're going to continue talking, you might as well smile at them so you get the best possible chance of hearing what it is they say. It'll bond you with them and it'll make you more likely uh, subconsciously to continue listening even when you really want to be doing something else. Okay? Good. All right, next. Number four, uh, nod your head. Uh, I don't know how much more I need to say about this, um, but speakers actually are aware of the entire room around them, 
And even when they're not looking at you, you nodding your head sends them a subconscious message that you're trying to have a good relationship with them. Um, in fact, the, part of the reason I say nod your head is because pe- some people listen very stilly, and in doing so, th- it's perceived as a negative often by the speaker. If a speaker just sees someone in the audience staring at them with a sort of a passive or a stony face, there's some negative associated with that. Um, so nodding your head is a big relationship helper, um, even when they look away. Uh, they're gonna if if you do do that, they'll come back to you a little bit like a port in a storm. Uh, and if they do that at touchy moments, then you're increasing the chances that you're going to be the person that breaks a logjam of a potential conflict with this person. They're gonna turn to you, and you're gonna they're gonna perceive you as more likely to find the middle ground. And and one other thing, we talked about relationships here, Mike. I am suggesting you nod your head even when you disagree with somebody. Yeah, that's 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 powerful. Yeah, look, I, I can understand their point of view. You and I disagree about stuff all the time. And I say, to you, you know, I, I understand your point. That's legitimate. I, I don't agree. I've got this other point that I think has more validity. But okay, you know, I'm with you there. Um, if I were in your shoes saying what you said, if you believe that's more powerful than the three data points or, that I have, okay, I would draw the same conclusion you did. Um, and I would say something else that's a little bit of a challenge. If you can't understand someone's point because it's different than yours, in other words, you can't get around and put yourself in their shoes, you can't turn around and face the problem the way they're looking at it. If you can't understand somebody's point because it's different than yours, get out of management now, right now. Because as you grow in management, there's going to be more conflict. There's going to be more people facing things from different perspectives and different backgrounds than yours. And if you can't understand their point just because it's different, you will never be successful. You are not smarter than everybody else. Um, You're not. Um, You're not the final arbiter of what's right, and you don't get to judge. You're not being paid to judge. You are being paid to have judgment skills, but you're not being paid to judge. And when someone brings up a point that you disagree with, and you judge them, uh, and you draw an emotional conclusion that has negatives like they're stupid, um, you're, you're, you're off track relative to what your job is. It's okay to evaluate. It's okay to make decisions. It's not okay to judge. It's ineffective. Uh, don't withhold your smiles and your head nods because you don't understand or you don't like their point of view. That though that would be your issue rather than their issue. Yeah, I'm I'm going to work on that. It's particularly smiling and nodding when I don't agree with what the person's saying. That's that probably doesn't come natural to me. So, yeah, I when I talk to you, uh, when I feel when you and I talk, I I feel like I have to step up just because so often when we're talking about some of this stuff, you're a step ahead of me intellectually, and and a lot of times. Um, I'm, I'm trying real hard to reach out to you. And, of course, I'm doing it um, with, you know, if we're face-to-face, I'm doing smiling and head nods and so on. Um, and and I, am, of course, you and I have known each other for 25 years. Um, but, I, but I believe that would make you more effective. And, gosh, you're already an effective manager. Imagine what it's like for so many of our newer listeners who um, have not been managing that long. This is an important relationship-building skill. Yeah, I just wish you wouldn't reach out to me so much at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Um, okay so uh, last is take notes and and we're not talking about meeting minutes and they don't have to be fancy Um, we're not trying to create an accurate record note taking has two purposes one is to help you understand and two is to strengthen the relationship Um, people feel more powerful when you take notes when they speak and they like people who make them feel more powerful 
And, taking it a step further, they do more favors for people whom they like. It's really not rocket science. Um, another thing, too, is that note-taking makes you slow down mentally. This the style of listening with, with note-taking is so slow compared to your previous style, most manager's style, of judging and tangent-taking, um, because you already know what they're going to say, that you will actually need something to do with your hands. Slowing down and thinking through and staying with the speaker since you're not getting up and leaving the room, will, will cause you to have more time on your hands and note-taking is a way to keep you a little bit busy. Um, so, uh, you know, we could talk for hours about this stuff, Mike, and I, I'm, I'm desperate now. Of course, I'm sure people are saying, okay, I'm, I'm a good listener. How do I respond to somebody I disagree with? Um, but I think for now, um, just sort of recap, those five points in terms of listening are... are if you do all five of these, you're going to be a quantum better as a listener. Face the speaker, look them in the eyes, smile at them, nod your head, and take notes. That's it. All right, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna personally try uh, to use some of these over the next uh, couple of weeks and see see what kind of results I get. Good, good. We're going to visit a client on Monday, so that'd be, <laughs> that'd be a good a good part point to start, wouldn't it? Yeah, good. All right, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We'll see you. Thanks for joining us again this week for Manager Tool, and we hope to see you again next week. Next week, we're going to continue this conversation and talk about responding during communications, which usually happens after one listens. In the meantime, if you have any feedback or questions, be sure to leave those at our website, www.manager-tools.com, and we'll see you all again next week. So long.